Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Woman podcast. Every two weeks, we'll post a podcast version of one of our free training videos, but you can access them now at beyondordinarywomen.org. This episode or series includes downloadable information on our website, beyondordinarywomen.org. Go to resources on the main menu and click on podcast slash video extras. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, I'm Kay Daigle of Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries. Welcome to this podcast and video with my special guest, Nika Spalding. Nika, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm excited to be here with you, Kay. Our topic is ministering to Gen Z. And Nike, it seems just like yesterday, we talked about millennials. And <laughs> when millennials were really the youngest of the adults. And now we have Gen Z entering adulthood. And so we need to know better how to minister to them because they won't be like you. You're a millennial. That's they right. They won't be like me. So uh, we need we need help. And so I tap Nike on the shoulder and ask her if she'd do this. And I'm excited about it. Nika is the uh, resident theologian at St. Jude Oak Cliff in the Dallas area, and I lean on her for a lot of insights into all sorts of ministry things, and so I'm delighted that she's with us today. Um, Let's get started by really defining who this Generation Z entails, what groups, what age group, um, what do you know about them? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I remember talking about millennials with you so many times. I kept thinking, you know, we're the generation that people love to kind of hate on and sort of dumped on us. And I kept thinking, okay, my day's coming. Like I know at some point the generation under me is going to grow up and I'm going to get my chance to dog on them. And the reality is, is I, I have no desire to do that because my heart, honestly, it breaks for this generation in some ways. And, and you'll understand why as we talk about them. And so Gen Z are, you know, they're the generation right below millennials and you'll, you'll see the years kind of move. So give or take 1996 to 2010 born somewhere in there. And if you're not like me and can't do the math, quick, I can't do the math. So I, I did the math last night. So like 13 to like 26 year olds, like somewhere in that range. And what's interesting is the generation under that one, we're going to call alpha. It's sort of like we're going back to a, cause we went through Y and Z. Um, but so so think of like young people today, people coming into adulthood now or maybe in their teen years. And this generation, more than any other, is marked by the digital age. And uh, we call them like digital natives. In other words, they have never known uh, like as they've as their brains have developed, as they've grown up, everything they've done has been done in a world where the Internet has been at their literal fingertips. You know, I remember growing up and like there was a computer in a room in our house that you had to take turns on if, you know, more than one sibling had homework. In this generation, everybody in the family had a laptop device, something to get on the internet. And I, I said, I would like love to make fun of this generation. I was like waiting. I was like, oh, it's my turn. It's finally my turn to dunk on the generation below me. But they were sort of supposed to be the generation that was gonna inherit a really great economy, my generation, we got out of college, we had the economic downturn. So the joke was we all just went to grad school and got extra degrees because we weren't ready to grow up. But this generation, rather than having it better than the generations in front of them, they've been marked by massive climate anxiety. They are very concerned about global warming and all of the climate 
you know, entities that that entails. And they have a shifting financial landscape that's been really compounded by COVID. So when you think of this generation, this is the generation whose formative years, they're going to say things like, oh, my high school was interrupted for two years by COVID, or my college experience was interrupted by two years by COVID, or I got out of college and I got my first job and then got laid off within six months. And that's just not a normal experience for a lot of people um, in prior generations. And so this generation was supposed to have it better than the millennials, um, but with COVID and the and just the economic upheaval and the and the globe a global pandemic is what has marked this generation and really their coming of age stories. And so it you'll you'll hear this in their stories. I was playing pickleball the other day with a young gal and she was telling me about her time at Pepperdine. And I was like, oh, what a beautiful campus. I mean, how wonderful was that? And she was like, well, I mean, I spent most of my time behind a mask. I couldn't really go places. I could, and, I, and it just clicked for me of like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't have been able to experience all that college had to offer the same way people five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago would have. And so we, but again, we call them the digital natives. So they, since they grew up with the internet as a daily part of their life, they don't know a day where they're not logged on. They, they I remember growing up and Kay, I'm sure you remember this. It, it was some people had cell phones or maybe your mom had a cell phone and then it was, oh, you got a cell phone. But if you went on vacation, you may not have service in the mountains. And now I was climbing up like Maroon Bells last week and we had internet most of the hike. And I thought, what a weird world we live in. But because of that internet access, they work online, they play online, they shop online, they date online. Sometimes there's anecdotes where they'll be in the same room with their friend and they're texting each other. And you just think, I, that is a world that I did not grow up in, certainly not one you grew up in. Right. It seems like, I, I mean, I was reading a little bit about them too. It seems like in Pew Research, it said that the iPhone was out about the time that's part of the reason they started this generation at that point it was sort of around the time that the iphones came out and everybody started having smartphones you know i remember Um, in 2007 iphone came out and i thought why like why would you want all of that on your phone and within you know two years it was oh you can't live without that i mean if you're not you know i saw a joke the other day it was like remember when we used to have a cell phone and a camera like we were like pack mules carrying all this stuff on vacation and now you know your camera on your iphone is better than the cameras i grew up carrying around and so you think why would you know everything you need is on this little device but what changes for this generation too is i remember i didn't sleep with my cell phone you know when i was a teenager or in college or any of that And now these kids wake up with their cell phones. They go to sleep with their cell phones. They just don't know a world in which they're not connected. And the other piece of this is not just that they're connected to the internet. In 2012, you really see the proliferation of social media going beyond just the young generation. And so I was, I always joke that I was the Facebook generation. I was in college when Mark Zuckerberg invented Facebook and it used to have to be, you had a .edu uh, G, you know, email account in order to have a Facebook. And I'll never forget when it was any old, and I was like, wait, my mom can get a face. Suddenly it went from this really cool niche little social media thing to like, mm, I don't know that I want to be on here any longer if my mom can be on here with me. But I, I sort of, you can kind of tell the generation. So, you know, older than Gen Z or older than millennials, we'll say that tends to be Facebook. You kind of see a lot of people on Facebook. My generation millennials, we tend to be on Instagram and Twitter. 
Gen Z, they are on TikTok and it feels like there's always something new coming out. Now it's the Be Real app and things like that that they're on. But TikTok has 1 billion users, which is there's 8 billion people on this planet. The fact that they have 1 billion users is crazy. And Gen Z makes up 60% of that, over half of TikTok. So that's like over half a billion gen- young people are on TikTok. And it and that has implications for even how you communicate. If they're used to, you know, 60 second videos at most, communication and the speed of life is moving like this at all times. And so it's a very different way of looking at the world. How How does this generation look at Christianity? Yeah, it's uh, it's pessimistic uh, a little bit. Um, you have with this generation being they're the most diverse generation ever in, in every way that you can measure diversity. And because of that, um, you know, you the famous line by Martin Luther King Jr., the most segregated time in America is on Sunday morning. That does not work for Gen Z. And so part of the disconnect Gen Z has with Christianity is they they say to themselves, like, if my friends wouldn't be welcomed here, then that's not really something I want to be a part of. And so they have Gen Z, you know, sort of like you have the like the nuns, the duns, sort of that language we use about people who used to be in church. You've got committed churchgoers. You've got folks who've kind of fallen away. And that is severely compounded by COVID in every generation. In every generation, we're seeing people not return. And then you have sort of the nuns where they're like, I didn't really grow up with the faith. And then you have the duns, which it was, I did grow up with the faith and through deconstruction or for whatever reason they've left. Gen Z is in the nun category more than we've ever seen in generation in the sense that they didn't grow up in the church. Maybe their parents left for some reason. And so they just, whereas it was kind of assumed where I grew up, like you had some sort of religious affiliation of some sort. That is going away with Gen Z. And when you ask them, okay, so you didn't grow up in the church, but would you be interested? They have much bigger questions about faith than we've heard from previous generations. And so, for example, for Gen Z, one of the big reasons why they're not super into Christianity is the problem of evil. And they want real answers to that. And again, you think about this generation grew up with a global pandemic innocent people died homes were you know families were broken apart people lost jobs people were in financial ruin like they are asking big if there's a good and benevolent god why is it that i can't go outside without being in danger and those are really good questions to ask that every generation should be asking that but they were forced to contend with that at age 14, age 15, age 16, in these formative years of life, where I remember I woke up and went to high school. The biggest question on my mind was what was lunch? What was for lunch? And could we beat the team we were about to play in volleyball? I mean, those were the big questions I was wrestling with. And obviously life, you know, throws you curveballs and life can get hard and you wrestle with those questions. But when you're dealing with an unknown pandemic and there's uncertainty, these are the questions that they're rattling around. So the problem evil is a big one. And the second one, which will not surprise you, UK, but and probably won't surprise our listener who's listening to us, is the hypocrisy of Christianity. They have contended with COVID, and then they've also contended with podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, or now you can't turn on the Discovery Channel without seeing the documentary on Hillsong or fill in the blank of any local church or, you know, the, you know, whether it's the Catholic church or the Protestant church or whatever's happening, they see a hypocrisy among Christians 
you say you love people, but you treat this demographic terribly. You say you love people, but you spoke with such vitriol on a public platform about filling any number of issues. And that is a big hang up for Gen Z who group identity is big for them. So why would I want to belong to a group that's known for the way they hate as opposed to the way they love. And these are issues that they're talking about. And not only are they talking about it, they're posting about it online. So you can see the conversation as it's, as it's playing out on TikTok. I understand that. I really do. And, you know, I'm a baby boomer and the most part of our lives were fairly just level, you know, throughout my whole lifetime there, you, we, we tended to stay in the same town grow up in the same place, have the same friends from first grade through high school. You know, it's just very different. Uh, those are also things that the younger generations have had to contend with very differently. A lot of moving around, a lot of uncertainty, uh, a, lot, a lot of less rootedness in their homes and their families. And I know that all of that probably plays into this, but I can also really understand why they particularly would be upset about some of these other things. And um, they're the ones that have to live with the future of the climate. And That's right. since it's yeah. going to be, what, 208 here today in <laughs> Dallas, um, you know, I can't imagine this getting drawn out in longer periods of time than we normally deal with it, which is bad enough, but um, with climate change, you're talking about months and months of this kind of weather, and we can hardly stand it for three or four days, hoping that it's going to cool down one day this weekend, you know? Yeah. I was in prep preparing for this. I was noticing, you know, when they talk about things that cause them you know, anxiety about the future, climate change really is at the top, which is an interesting thing, because when I was in college, I have a you know, a science degree from OU, people were still debating whether climate change was real. And I remember if you were a Christian, you tended to be on one side of it. And and I thought, oh, that was so strange. Like, why aren't we letting the experts talk about this? Which is another thing that Gen Z, it drives them a little bit crazy is the anti-intellectualism in our churches. And so in, in preparing for us doing this today, you know, I was reading about homes in Florida can't get, you know, home insurance because of these insurance companies are expecting big climate climate related events. It's one hundred and fifty thousand degrees in Texas. And I'm complaining about it all the time because I just want to go outside and play sports and not feel sick the next day. You know, I was in Colorado last week and they had record high temps as usual. And I'm going, you know, we can't keep saying record high temps when it's the trend every year. And I was there with a young woman who who was like, yeah, this is the world I'm going to inherit. You guys think, oh, you can't get insurance. That's okay. I've got a nest egg. And she's saying, I can't even afford a home. And now you're telling me a weather event could take my home out and I can't afford to rebuild. And I'm kind of going, yeah, I could see how that would cause anxiety. Like I, I could see how that would create in me a little uncertainty about the future. And this young gal is a Christian, but she's looking at me going, where are the Christians leading the charge on climate change, which is an interesting question that I don't think people were asking 20 years ago, that young people today, I think if the church would lead the charge on some of these issues that Gen Z really cares about, then we might see more of them more interested in faith conversations than we currently do. Yeah, that's really interesting. My daughter and her family were just in New Hampshire 
and almost did not get out of there because the roads were were disintegrating and washing mm-hmm. away. And there was a picture on on the news later of the very road they had to get out on. Mm-hmm. That had just a, a truck with had just it become a sinkhole. It just yeah. they you know, and that's part of climate change. It's it's too much rain all at the same time. Yeah. There then you know, the normal spread out kind of rain. But I think I, I'm concerned for my children and grandchildren as far as climate change and what, what this is going to mean for them long-term. It's yeah. very um, hard to think about, and I understand why they're concerned about it. And I understand why they have big questions. They've, they've got good questions, don't they? They really do. I, I think that's the... You know, the whole reason we're doing this video is you you could most people who study generations always say there's it's sort of cynical, right? Some of the best research on Gen Z is just because they want to sell them stuff. So it's like, what how can we get them to buy what we're trying to sell? What makes them tick? I mean, that's really where millennial research was born, was like, where are they spending their money? They're not buying the things baby boomers did, they're not buying it. And so and Gen Z is even funnier because they have some inconsistencies like millennials, they are very committed to having a more just society and all of that, but they really have a cool aesthetic. Like they like vintage clothes and things like that. And so sometimes they'll buy from a company who's not the most ethical because it's a little bit more affordable, but then you'll also see that, you know, they're the, they're also the generate. I don't know why they wanted to bring back nineties and Y2K clothes. I don't know, but they did. And in doing so you'll see them thrifting or you'll see them looking for, it's funny when they call the clothes that I grew up in vintage, but that's fine. I'm old. I can live with it. And so, but they, their, their big questions are, if you guys say that the crux of Christianity is a God of love and we do, then doesn't that mean loving your neighbor enough to care about climate change to destigmatize mental health? If, you know, anxiety and depression is something that is marking Americans at rates we've never seen, why does the church still feel a little funny about that? You know, why are you guys anti-mental health meds? Those are some of the questions that they have. And then some of the big questions that they have are, if the world is marked by racism and misogyny, shouldn't the church be different? And what, and if it's not, then really, are you following the God of love? And I think those are like really important questions that I think should drive the church to have better answers. Like, I don't, I don't, I think so many times young people ask questions that kind of disrupt the flow of the church. And often we're like, oh, you're young. You won't care about that someday. Like, don't, you know, and instead I think we have a gift from the younger generation to say, you know what, those are good questions to ask. And in fact, Kay, I was thinking about their videos you've done with Beyond Ordinary Women. Like these are the topics that you have been trying to get in front of and kind of put before people. And now I'm going, yeah, I think that you're almost ahead of your time because these are the questions that young people that I'm around today are asking and they want to know is your God really the God of love because the world seems to be lacking in big ways anti-racism just like we need more justice in the world we need more goodness in the world we need to see that that if you love the Lord then you care about the flourishing of others well then that that includes creation care I mean that includes all of these things that we're talking about and, and loving women and loving children and loving people of a different ethnicity, a different citizenship, a different fill in the blank. And if you can't do those fundamental things, 
maybe you're not being as faithful to God as you think you are. And I think that's a healthy thing that Gen Z is bringing to the church. Yes. As far as is taking everything that you've just said, all of the things that they're concerned about, how, how do we, how do we incorporate that into the church? How do we uh, appeal to them in a sense um, in ways that right now we're not appealing to them? They yeah. probably see no reason for church. Yeah. Have questions like that. It's sort of like, yeah, what's the point? Yeah. You know, I can look at your sermon series and go, uh, maybe not. And I think that's the, so I would say this generation will bring a proper critique and they will bring a very painful wounding that needs to be ministered to. So I think both of those things have to be held in tension. So with the critique, you know, Gen Z is deprioritizing the family more than any other generation. Part of that is they don't think they can afford a family. Part of that is they're living with their family later into the years because they can't afford affordable housing. So the idea of I'd like a spouse and 2.5 kids by the time I'm 30, that's a lower value for them than you know, career accomplishments. So if your church overemphasizes family to the extent that, and we've been talking about this for years, like I'm single, I'm committedly single. I'd be surprised if I'm married when God calls me home. So I've always kind of been like, Hey, what about, you know, where, where's the, where's the sermon series for me, but it will be especially felt by Gen Z, who my generation was marked by women who wanted to be married and couldn't find spouses. And Gen Z is marked by young people who are like, eh, I might or might not get married. Now, that, that's not the healthiest thing. However, it means if your church is, is every third sermon series is about how to be a good mom and a good dad, you're going to miss them. So that's why I'd say is one, you have to make sure you understand their values are not, you can't assume their values are going to be the same as ours. The second thing, we were promised by Facebook, Instagram, Apple, Google, all this technology meant we would be more connected than ever before. And all it's done is create anxiety and depression. They've lied to us the entire time. Like, yeah, maybe at its best, some people feel more connected, but really all it means is we just see tragedy after tragedy across the world. And we know it's causing a decline in mental health. And so what I'd say is it, it is a shocking statistic to know that Gen Z is the loneliest generation on the planet right now, more than the greatest generation, which is folks a little bit older than UK who typically live in nursing homes. And what they're seeing, people who are studying this, they're saying, well, at least in a nursing home, you have a neighbor and a nurse. And Gen Z at times will have absolutely no contact outside of the digital sphere. And it does not impact you the same way as having coffee with a friend. So the other thing that I would say is that's part of their wounding that they bring. Like the part of the gift that they bring is we should teach on justice. We should teach on anti-racism as the people of God who the dividing wall of hostility has been knocked down. We should teach on why you know men and women should partner together in the gospel. We should teach on climate care and creation care because that's the way we steward what God's given us. That's part of how we reach them. But the wounding of their loneliness and their mental health, this generation with suicide is the number one leading cause outside of childhood cancer. It's the number one leading cause of death for this generation. You know, when you get older, you think, gosh, youth is wasted on the young, right? You kind of think like, oh, what a gift youth is. You have so much opportunity and so much potential in front of you. But our young people are telling us we don't feel that way. We feel incredibly lonely, incredibly depressed, and incredibly anxious. And so what I'd say is, 
I think your church should get on TikTok for outreach. I think you should get on all the social media that you can and kind of let let the young people know, hey, we're here, we're available. But when they come in your church, if we do not have cross-generational, deep abiding relationships as a pathway for Gen Z, they won't stick around and they certainly aren't going to get the full experience of what it means to belong to the family of God. And so young people today, they are desperate for deep, abiding, meaningful relationship. And I think as churches, we often spend our time, I know that I'm this way, I think about what do I need to teach next? Or what do I need to present as far as, you know, how do I, how do I instruct my body? And I need to start spending, and I've been doing this more time going, how do I create opportunity for people to connect and relate in really meaningful ways? How do I encourage the 50-somethings? to take out the 20 somethings to lunch after church. Like how do I deputize just a group of really mature Christians to say, would you be on the lookout for every 20 something that walks through these doors? And would you make sure that you know their name, that they're invited into your home, that you can take them to a coffee? How do we get them to feel more connected is the question that they want us to be asking and answering as opposed to just thinking about talking on these topics because they can get really good. So, I mean, they can find sermons from across the world better than we can. Can they find deep, meaningful connection is the question that we really need to be striving as a church. Absolutely. That, that is, and that's, that's a tough question. That's a tough question as to how to get your church involved in that. Like you said, you are Thinking about this, this is something that's really on your heart because it's not an easy thing to do. No, not, not at all. It's I mean, much easier to teach, right? It's much easier to just get up there and say, hey, you guys should have relationships. You're made in the image of a Trinitarian God. Like, have relationships. And they look at me and they go, you know, they're not accustomed to even just talking to strangers. Like this younger generation, I always think about one young person told me, she was like, you know, what's really painful. And I was like, what's that? And she's like, you go into a coffee shop, you order your coffee and the barista says a name out loud and you didn't hear which name it was. Oh, I hate it when that happens. And I literally went, why don't you just ask them what they said? And she's like, well, I don't want to disrupt them. I don't want and And I just kind of think, I just walk through life assuming everyone's a potential conversation partner. Like, I'm just like, hey, how's your day? I don't need to know who you are. I can meet you. And I think about that with young people, like some of this is modeling for them, how you make friends outside of college, how you make friends outside of the digital space. And, and some of that is you've got to almost, I mean, I, I kind of think about like a, a pastor might be better off creating a game night than they are a sermon. I mean, they might be better off creating, you know, just lunch buddies and, and, and times to connect. And I would say like, Pastors need to be thinking about other things too, right? If your church doesn't value diversity, you'll never reach Gen Z. If your church completely ignores the way vocational ministry matters to this generation, like you could do a sermon series on how your job can be an extension of your ministry. And that would track with 20 somethings in ways that probably other generations you go, yeah, we kind of took it for granted or, Hey, my work is my work. It's how I make money. And my ministry is my ministry. And for Gen Z there, those things are integrated. So there's a lot that a pastor can do. But I find I spend a lot of my time just trying to connect folks, just trying to say, hey, do you know so-and-so? Y'all have a lot in common. You guys should really, and and it's with an intentionality to build sticky relationships so those young people will come back and know that they're loved and cared for. Yeah, those are great ideas. Great ideas. And we're all like this. We're probably, probably all of us at heart are like this. It's we know that's that would be a good thing to do. It's yeah. just 
unless we feel the need for that relationship, we don't always pursue it. Yeah. Because we've got to get out of ourselves. We've got to get out of ourselves and go, I want to give to other people. I don't want to, I'm not here just to take. And too often, I think that's the attitude of many of us at church. I mean, we, I can get that way too. I mean, it's, it's like, okay, what, what am I gaining here? What am I, how am I growing here instead of what am I giving here and who am I helping grow? And it's a whole mindset that, that we need to encourage, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Especially in churches that have been around, you know, one of the gifts of planting a church is if you were at St. Jude in the first three years, I mean, everybody was sort of new, everybody's building relationships. Well, now we're hitting year six and relationships are settled and life stages. And I'm kind of going, Hey, don't lose that fervency of building relationships because the new person walks in and you're thinking to yourself, well, I already have my 10 friends. Like, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of margin kind of have the people I enjoy having dinner with. I have the people. And I think, you know, but what about that person that just walked in? Like who's going to be their friend and who's going to love on them and who's going to care for them. And I think that's part of, you know, I think so many times I, I spent all my time, you know, when I was talking about millennials, which was the last 10 years, trying to convince baby boomers, we're not that bad. <laughs> like, we're not that bad. Like, just hang out with us. I promise. I never that thought bad. that. I, I never know. That. I, yeah. I remember the first time I met you, I was like, hey, we're going to be friends. And I asked you to lunch and you were like, great, let's do it. And so I do think there's a gift to like being in ministries. You see the generations connect and you're like, oh, yeah, this is easy. And so I see with Gen Z. I see that same trend starting to happen, right? It's sort of this, like, I remember we have somebody at our church always calls the young people, the kids, she calls them the kids. And I'm like, hey, that's all fun and games. As long as the kids are invited to your game night too, or invited to your vacation or invited to your, you know, fill in the blank. And what's interesting is we did a really good job at St. Jude prior to the pandemic of our 50-somethings taking out our 20-somethings to lunch. It was rare a 20-something didn't have a lunch invite. And then the pandemic hit and we got out of the habit of that and our social circles shrunk. And I remember having a conversation with some of our older folks going, can y'all get back into that habit? Can you mentally tell yourself like, hey, I have a different rhythm now. It's it's like everything's kind of, but can you shift your mindset back into, I'm going to look for a young person to take to lunch and to their extreme credit, they have. But I think that's the thing is COVID shrunk everyone's worlds. You know, I remember thinking these are kind of my eight safe friends before we understood what we were up against. And now as we're coming back into the world going, we have to get out of this small mindset and get back into the, my life is meant to be an offering to God. So when I come to church, am I there to receive or am I there to say, hey, Lord, who would you have me love and encourage today? And of course, if you're in a season of deep grief, if you're in a season of great loss, if you're in a season, then you need to receive that. You know, there's always those ebbs and flows. But if you're doing pretty good at church and you're like, man, great sermon, and you're just walking out and you don't really have any interest in caring and loving and serving the other, may I gently prod you to grab a 20 something and go, hey, I think you dress a little weird. I think you have a whole vocab I don't understand. I think you're worried about things maybe I don't care about, but I'm certain I could learn from you and care for you and love you. And I imagine there's going to be a deep abiding friendship that can come from this. Because one of the things that I had to keep telling people about millennials, yes, we were entitled. Yes, we were self-centered. But guys, we may just change the world. Okay, so just give us a chance. And I feel the same way about Gen Z. Gen Z, despite their pessimism, despite the fact that they're like, economy's broken, 
you know, climate's broken, everything's broken. They are very pragmatic. They really believe they have a part to play in changing it. So rather than being idealists who never get involved or pessimists who just say, what's the point? They are a part of organizations. They volunteer their time. They give their money. And so I'd say is, don't you want people like that in your church? Like to say, hey, guys, God expects his people to participate in flourishing activities. And Gen Z is going to go, yeah, yeah, duh. Like, oh, that's where I got that from. God wired me for that. Great. Let's do it. And so I, we need them in our churches to help us reach the lost and to care for the least of these and to, to build up, you know, ministries that are going to reach out to the vulnerable and mercy ministries and all of that. And Gen Z might just be leading the charge on that. If we would let them in our churches, encourage them to remain, answer their big questions rather than just shoving them away, value their diversity, take them seriously in their mental health issues. And if we did that, they might just stick around long enough to change the world. And I think that's the beauty of this generation coming up under me is they think they have a part to play. And that is a very biblical way of viewing the brokenness of the world is that God sent me here to play a part in that and helping bring good to these places of hurting and bring healing where it can be healed. Which means that they're going to be attracted. If, if we can get them there, they should be attracted by churches that have some of these things yep. going on and give them opportunities to plug in. They need yep. to hear that we care about the refugees in town, and we have a ministry there. We'd love to have you help or, you know, something something like that. Just We ought to have a, many types of those kinds of ministries going on because I would think that that would encourage them that maybe these Christians are not the kinds I've been hearing about. Maybe these people care about what I care about and are willing to do something about it yeah. like I am. Yeah, totally agree. And that's the way that they meet and build connections and relationships. I mean, I'm always kind of go, okay, how do I, you know, how do I <laughs> create, it's sort of like, I feel like I'm a matchmaker at times of just, and I'm not for, not for romance, just for buddies, just trying to get people to connect. And when you create an opportunity to serve together and you've got a young person and especially a baby boomer, I think so many times the young people kind of go, they look at baby boomers and they go, they don't care. They're hoarding all the wealth. You know, they kind of got theirs and now they're checked out. Well, what if all of a sudden there's a 60 year old showing up at the same service day as you and you get to chatting and you realize you both really have a passion to seeing refugees feel welcomed because you serve the same God who's called us to that. And and your life is built upon those things that that more than a than than a sermon I can preach is going to have an impact on a young person. And I know it because I see it happen because there are so many young people in our church that come to me and go, did you know so-and-so cares about this? They read this book about so-and-so and I had no idea they cared about justice. I had no idea they were, you know, and they kind of are always surprised when someone north of 55 also cares about whatever justice issue they're really passionate about. And I think to myself, yeah, yeah, we have those folks like you're yes. And that should be normative in the Christian experience. They shouldn't be surprised that, okay, people in your generation care about the things you care about, but I'm so glad you do because then I can point at you and go, oh, no, no, Kay cares. Follow her, follow her as she follows Christ and go get coffee with her and hang out with her and be her friend. And, you know, I think those are the things that we in church, it's so easy to, to try and build programs. And that makes sense. But when you're building the program, you should be asking yourself, not just, 
what's the need that I'm meeting, but how am I forming my people who participate in this program? Am I forming them to build relationships, forming them to value what God values and forming them into Christian Christ-like conformity? That's a good program. It can't just be a measurement of, oh, we reached a hundred kids and we did, you know, just not, not heads in the seats, right? You know, we always say butts in the pews, which is a little <laughs> crass, but more than that, are people being formed to be like Christ, those you're serving and those who are serving with you. And I think those are the questions we should be asking ourselves, especially when it comes to this younger generation. And that brings up, and I, I talked about this in a video that I recently did about my trip to the border, but I think it kind of fits in here and it may not be the same audience that I'm talking to. So, but if it is, I'm sorry to repeat the story, but I went on a tour of a ministry that is housed at our church that distributes food and clothing and those kinds of things. And it, I mean, it is terrific. It is really a wonderful ministry. Thousands of people each month get food and clothing and other English as second language, you know, all sorts of opportunities to help are available there. And I was talking, the, the gal that is the executive director of it gave me a tour of it and when she found out I was interested in, in some of the same things she was interested in, she's like, oh, you'll be interested in this. You need to come actually look at it. So I did. And she started telling me how when she took over, she told everyone who volunteers there that they're to call the people who come no longer clients, but mm -hmm. neighbors. Oh, yeah. It's just a change in your attitude about who people are, and it's what you're talking about, that you are basically discipling all those people that come and volunteer there are being discipled by her to realize that all of these people are our, neighbor, are our neighbors, and Jesus said we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And yeah. so I think that's a really good point that you made, and that's just an example that I just recently one of my favorite Bible stories that I think probably, I think it ruffles older generations is like Matthew 25, when people are in Jesus is like, hey, when you fed the homeless and you did all these things, you did it for me. And you'll never be turned away from the kingdom of God if you care for the stranger, right? And you're kind of like, and have faith and confess you, right? Like you, you don't act like loving, like caring and being hospitable to the stranger is not a guaranteed entrance into the kingdom of God, right? Jesus, right? Because Matthew, Matthew 25 seems to suggest that. And I always say, you know what? Younger people will have no problem with that. They're like, yep, no problem. That is evidence that you are a, a faithful Christian is the way you love and serve others. Because in doing so, you might've entertained Christ himself and you're kind of going, or angels and you're kind of going, it has to be more than that. Right. And, and Jesus is going, I literally want you to serve your neighbor. Like I not theoretically, not, not philosophically, not, Oh, if I had the chance, maybe I, I want you to actually feed the hungry and clothe the naked and care for the widow. And I think you look at younger people and you, and they might just be surprised to find out that that's an idea from God himself, the God we worship, the God we love and say, actually, that's not a unique idea to your generation. That's actually one that comes from God because he's the one who invented neighbor care. And by desiring these things, these good desires of your generation, you're actually more in line with Christianity than you realize. And so I love that story, okay? Because that's what I mean about formation, right? Is it a good thing people come and serve? Absolutely. 
Do you hope though, that what they're being formed into is people that go, I'm up here and thank goodness I can serve people down here. You'd go, Ooh, I'm not sure that's what we're trying to create. But instead, if you go, man, I come to the Lord like this, all we have is his. And so I'm just trying to love and serve my neighbor. And there's a day coming where I will receive from them as well, because God has made us all his children. And what a gift that we get to love and serve each other as neighbors. That's a completely different formation. And it's so subtle to change the name. And yet it will have an impact on the way people view what they're doing. And I think that's, I think these are the kinds of things that Gen Z rightly will push into and help us to think better about, talk better about, and certainly practice better in our churches. And and that's a really good point because we need to be listening well. We need to be listening to what they're telling us because they can see what we're doing that isn't really aligned with what God would have us to do. And they aren't blind to it because it's the way you grew up or it's the way that you yeah. your friends are or it's, it's all that you hear because of the people around you. They are coming from a different perspective, and that's true of any group. But yeah. we just need to always be listening and open to the criticisms and the questions that people have for us because it tells us a whole lot about what they're seeing and where they're coming from. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. I think this is the anecdote I'd leave people with is, because they're digital natives, this is the generation that they're not going to send their pizza back if it comes with the wrong toppings. Like they're not going to, they're not going to presume to tell a waiter or waitress they've done their job incorrectly, but they will show up at a protest while a police officer is putting a gun in their face if they think there's an injustice. And if that is not the weirdest combination, I don't know. And yet those are the people that we might be having in our churches. And so that's why I'd say is like, that generation needs to be loved and cared for deeply. They have deep, serious wounds and they may just change the world because they have the courage to go do what's required of them. And so that's what I'd say is like, we've got to really love and care for them and we got to set them loose in the kingdom of God because they're the kind of people you want showing up in your ministry. So I'm excited to see the next 10, 20 years unfold as I become old and gray haired, hopefully, and, talk about the heyday of back when millennials were the, in the spotlight. Now we're not anymore. We're just the old people, but I really do have great hopes for the future, but I know it will require of us older folks, great care and great love and great tenderness, but also great hope and expectation of these young people. I love that. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for sharing that. Thanks for sharing all that you've shared and we will see you again. I hope soon. Do you have any resources that we should put up for that people could read? Any articles? Any yeah. anything? Barna has some really good stuff they've put out. Two, they have short articles that are free. They have um, volume one and volume two of this like really long study they did, but they're you have to pay for them. But I will, I'll send you links to their free stuff, especially how um, Gen Z views uh, evangelism. Like one of the big things is that it's what you do is almost more important than what you say in evangelism, which no surprise there, but that's what I'd say is I'll send you a bunch of those links. Cause I think Barna's probably got the best stuff as it relates to ministry on Gen Z. Okay. That sounds great. We'll look forward to that. And okay. I'm sure being able to read a little bit more will encourage some of the people out there to really minister well to Gen yeah. Z. You can find those resources at our website, beyondordinarywomen.org. Up at the menu, it says resources, go down to resources, and there are video extras, something like that, media extras. 
just the extras. You're looking for the extra things, and those would be some of the resources that we put online that support what we talk about on our podcasts and videos. And we hope to see all of you again soon at one of our podcasts or these videos. Thank you, Nika. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcast episodes and resources for women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast is produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministry. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Deborah Herring, and Sharifa Stevens. Theme music, Back in Stride by Don Miller, used courtesy of Christine Miller.